0: Man, those words that that we sing are our life and their truth. And and, and I pray that that inspires your faith this morning that, that He said it and it's done, and that His promises are true. So welcome this morning once again to Christ Church. Um, I'm Jeremy, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you are joining us online, welcome. For those of us joining virtually this morning, um, a lot of times these days, maybe you've even experienced this like, I'm gonna go check a church out and your first visit is virtually, it's online, not in person. And so for those joining us for the first time online, welcome and would certainly love to see you uh, in person in the building. So either way, great to be together Um, Grab your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 5. We are in a series called Kingdom Culture, and we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5 through 7, we see Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God, kingdom culture. And what you'll notice is that the kingdom of God runs right up against in conflict against the kingdom and the principles and the values of this world. Uh, Some would say that it's an upside-down kingdom. Or as we've been singing over the past few weeks, your kingdom flows in reverse. Uh, in our perspective, things just kind of seem a little bit backwards. But actually, Jesus is setting things aright. And, and just notice that it very much runs up against our culture and our values. And the first um, few verses of the Sermon on the Mount are called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the, the blessings. Blessed is this, blessed is that. And as we've been working through today, we're going to be in Matthew 5, 8. And, but before we read that, let's just kind of review the principles of the Beatitudes. How does this happen in our lives? Blessed is actually better translated as flourishing. It's a, it's a well-rounded all of life. When you, you live according to the kingdom principles, you flourish. Flourishing comes from actively and regularly being with Jesus not just from doing right things. This is not a try harder, do better message. It's very much a be message. Be with Jesus. Flourishing comes from regularly being with him. You flourish when you have a be attitude, an attitude dependent on simply fellowship and communing with Jesus. See, when you see he does the work, he changes you from the inside out. This is how we be with Jesus. We be with Jesus by communing with him regularly, individually and corporately. We hear his word, we speak with him in prayer, we yield to the leading of his spirit, and and it manifests these B attitudes. It's the result of being with Jesus, and we flourish in God's kingdom. Now, in a culture and in a world that very much values appearance, image, outward beauty, That's what's important in the world we live in, so much more over outward beauty, over inward integrity. Jesus says these words Our world is not much different than His 2,000 years ago. In Matthew 5 8, Jesus said this Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Flourishing are those who are are pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, if you're, if you're like me, your, your immediate reaction is like, well, hold on a second, pure in heart, that's really lofty. We just, over the last few weeks, we're talking about how we're spiritually bankrupt, right? And how we should, we should mourn the effects of our own sin. And as I read forward in the Sermon on the Mount, it really is, uh, Jesus is exposing all of the impurity and the hypocrisy of the human condition. That the heart is so impure. So Jesus is not saying, have a sinless, perfect heart, that is his work over time, but to have a pure heart, to be pure in heart, rather, is those who have a new heart given by God, who want more than anything to obey God, to trust God, to deal truthfully with the inner world of the heart. Those who long to see God's purity take place on the inside. Again, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount exposes so much of the problem being the heart. Those who are pure in heart are focused on the eternal kingdom of God, citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, not living by the rules and the the principles and the values of this world. So here's our big idea, and this is such a prevalent theme through all of Scripture as we talk about this passage today, Think about, think about it like this. Kingdom people, kingdom people, are you a kingdom person? Kingdom people are laser focused on the heart. Kingdom people value what's going on internally on the inside far more than just outward appearance or what looks good. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let's pray as we, as we unpack this verse today. Lord, Lord Jesus, you said this and um, it is still so true. It has echoed through history that you would call us to purity of heart and while it feels impossible for us, it is certainly possible for you because it is your work. Help us to understand what it means to be pure in heart and then how that is directly related to seeing you. And this, this message, Lord Jesus, I pray, would be convicting, eye-opening, and would you continue your work uh, in us this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as a disciple of Jesus, I spend time being with him, right? The be attitudes are, this is a be message, not a do message. So after spending time being, there's a response. After, after you've spent time with Jesus, there's something that, and he changes you on the inside, there's a response, there's a new way that you live. As a disciple of Christ, number one is this, I prioritize purity over piety. I prioritize purity over piety, meaning this, that I'm more concerned about the inner world, the unseen world, the integrity, the true motives. I'm brutally honest with what's happening in here, more so than I am trying to just look good For everybody else, more than I'm just trying to check off the spiritual list, I do all the right things. I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I'm in a community group, and I give, and I serve. All of those things are a result of communion, of a result of of following Jesus, but they, they do not stand alone. They're a result of. It's not about external piety in what you do primarily. It's about purity of heart. Now, Jesus, speaking to the Jewish culture, he knew uh, this was a, a major value. Purity for them would have carried significant weight. They, they understood purity uh, according to the Old Testament, but it was all external, right? Like if you, you couldn't eat certain things that were considered impure. If you happened to accidentally touch something dead, there was a process of purification. You were considered unclean or impure, for a length of time, if you had a disease like leprosy or or some other skin disease, you'd have to stay at a distance and you'd have to yell out, unclean! And you'd have to keep a distance so that nobody got too close to you, lest you infect them. Women, even after giving birth to their children, had to go through a process of purification. And so they understood purity to mean a certain thing. And, And Jesus comes along and says, blessed are the pure in heart Now, that word pure is a great word, and in our English language, it's kind of the best we've got, but it has a few different meanings in in the original language, and and they go together, they work together, but we're going to talk through what does it mean to be pure, and, and what did it mean for them, and what does it mean for us? It means two big things. It means to be undivided, and it means to be unmixed, undivided and unmixed. So undivided, the idea of purity being undivided means that you're single-minded, you're without distraction. You have have a unified self. Basically what Jesus is saying is that your outer presentation matches your inner condition. There's not a conflict there. A hypocrite is someone who would put on a mask and, and play a part. It was a show, it was a sham, And Jesus is calling out the deceitfulness of living one way to look good while inwardly having that not match and be completely different. One commentator said this undivided purity of heart means to be free from the tyranny of a divided self. You don't live in deceit, concealing or hiding the truth or misrepresenting. You're transparent in your dealings. People can see through you transparently, undivided, single-minded. We see a picture of this over in John chapter one, uh, verses 45 to 51. You can look up on your screen. There's a man named Nathaniel, and, and his, his friend Philip is so excited because Philip has, has met Jesus, and he runs to Nathaniel, and, and this is what he says. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him, who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now look at Nathanael's response. This is kind of funny. In verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, oh man, he's got some prejudicial stereotypes, obviously against the Nazarenes. Yeah, and we, but we know what this feels like, okay? We're not that far off. It would kind of, in our culture, be like, <clears throat> does anything good really come from Ohio, you know? <laughs> Now, my wife is scowling at me because she's from Ohio. (laughs) So the answer is yes, good things come from Ohio. Of course good things come from Ohio. But that, that kind of same, you know, making light of it, that same tension, Nathaniel's got, he's got a stereotype. He's already got Jesus in a box. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And look at Jesus' response. This is so interesting. Philip says, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him, knowing what he had said, and he said, Behold an Israelite, indeed whom there is no deceit. He almost like, he kind of applauds, like, Nathaniel, you're my man. I know what you think of me, but I just gotta say, hey, you're the kind of guy, at least, that's like, you're just saying what you really think. There's there's not a divided self here. There's not deceitfulness going on. You're not like presenting like, oh, I'm so holy, but inwardly, you're completely different. He goes, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, the undivided self. Now, there were certainly other parts of the, the unmixed or the, the, you know, the dirty low blow that he took there that Jesus would work on over time. But what he was saying was, hey, at least you're undivided. Most Israelites were, were great at being hypocritical, not far off from us. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi you are the son of God. Man, he was, he was convinced pretty quickly there, right? You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Look what he says here. I just want to point out the connection. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, referencing the story of, of Jacob's dream and Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament, that Jesus literally is the ladder between heaven and earth. It's interesting that he goes, you're gonna see, you're gonna see this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. His inner matched his outer. He was undivided. He, he wasn't unmixed. Jesus was gonna work on that. But that's the second definition. To be, to be pure means to be undivided, but it also means to be unmixed. Uh, unalloyed, unpolluted, clean. If you uh, were to open open the spigot and and water came out and it was kind of brown and cloudy, how many would be like, oh, (laughs) right? No, you'd be like, ugh, I'm not drinking that. We want water to be clean and pure. Interestingly enough, the purity of the water actually produces transparency. Have you noticed that? The more pure something is, the more transparent it is. Jesus is saying, the more pure in heart you are, the more transparent your life is going to be. People, you're you're not you don't have a front. You don't feel the need to like act a certain way, but really be somebody else. You know, over the um, last few years, I, <laughs> I've developed this irrational fear, of of not wanting to swim in White Lake. So we live up north, and I love to go out on the boat, and and um. <clears throat> I'm like, I'll oh, go out to Lake Michigan. I don't think I've told my wife why I actually wanna go swim in Lake Michigan, but here it is, I'm, I'm bearing my soul in front of everybody. When I'm in White Lake, though it's often warmer than Lake Michigan, I, I look at the water and I'm like, I cannot see below the surface, right? And I've got this irrational fear that there's like piranhas in there or sharks. What's just waiting to just be like, ah, like, you know, eat, chew my foot off, right? Like, I'm not jumping in there. Snapping turtle just ready to, ah, you know, like. Like, I go out to Lake Michigan and I look, and it's crystal clear. I can see everything. There's no weeds. I can see the sand. There's definitely no sharks in the area. There's no krakens, right? I'm safe. Because the more pure something is, the more transparent it is. You can see through it. Funny illustration, but, but it's true. Undivided and unmixed. Clean, unpolluted. Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure, the undivided, the unmixed in heart, Our heart, that's our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our appetites, affections, purposes, our endeavors. Our heart is who we really are. It's our mind and our emotions. Another Bible word very similar to heart is soul. Our mind, will, and emotions. The heart is the inner unseen world that constitutes who you truly are. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure, the undivided, the unmixed in heart on the inside in the, un, in the unseen world. So at this kind of, at this point, it takes us still kind of to the place of like, but how do I get, how do I get that? Because when I look internally at my own heart and me being honest, I'm like, man, my heart is not pure. My heart is not undivided. My heart is not unmixed. Again, Jesus is not saying that you have to be sinless and perfected. It, it is a work that happens at salvation and it's also a work that happens over time. The theological terms would be this, at salvation, at the moment when Jesus saves you, he regenerates your heart, called regeneration. We're gonna look at a passage here in a minute that that describes how that works. Regeneration, and then over time, as you are being purified, uh, you're you're walking with Jesus, you're following Jesus, your heart longs to, to be like Christ and to, and to deal truthfully and transparently you're, you're in the process of sanctification. And then one day we'll be made perfect, that's glorification, okay? So at salvation, regeneration happens. We spend the rest of our lives being sanctified, being set apart, being made pure and holy. One day we will be uh, glorified and at that point we'll be able to see God face to face. Now John talked about this um, over in John chapter three. Uh, Jesus is actually talking about being born again. And and it's not a new idea. In fact, all through the whole Old Testament, we, we think sometimes, oh, God was just only focused on the exterior and he was just it was just a set of laws and do this and don't do that. No, the truth is is that from beginning to end, God has always been laser focused on the heart. God's always been about the internal unseen world because we, we know that this is what produces the seen in the physical. So, over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesying um, about what this new birth would look like, he said this in Ezekiel 36, 25 I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. That's actually what, what it says uncleanness is. And from your idols, uh, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now, now, just there in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. Do you think that he's trying to stress something there? He's talking about purity, being clean, being, being holy, being unpolluted. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, talking about thou the filling, so that's, that's salvation. Salvation happens, and it's God doing it. Notice in this, God does all of it. At salvation, he gives us a new heart. Our hearts are regenerated. There's, there's something now inside of us that longs for and desires to obey God and to be pure and to be righteous. It's his heart. And I will put my spirit within you, speaking of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You're living from the inside out, but it's God in his nature in you that, that is doing it. That's why Paul said in Galatians two twenty, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. That's what it means to be born again. Your heart fundamentally changes, your desires change, and now, for the rest of your life, we, we, we live in a tension of the old man of sin and the flesh that still wants to rebel against God and do it our way, and I'm, I know better than God, and I, I don't believe God, but I'm gonna do it my way, and there's also this heart within us that's going, no, I long to please God, and I, wanna, I want to obey God. That's the pure heart within us that God puts within us. So it is it is a work that happens at Salvation, It's also an outworking that happens over time in in purifying our hearts. I remember uh, when this happened for me, my uh, my moment of really encountering Jesus and and getting saved uh, was around my sophomore year in high school, and um, and I remember going through a transition period where it was like I was fundamentally different, like my life because my heart changed. He took the heart of stone out, and he put a heart of flesh. And so now my desires are different, and my convictions are different, and what I'm seeing in the world is different. (laughs) I remember one time at our house growing up, we have, and you you could still go to my parents' house today and see this. You go into the kitchen, and there's this tall kind of cabinet. You open up the doors, and that's where the garbage can is. Like, you got to throw the garbage. So me, as, as a typical teenager, I'd come home with my, from Wesco, my three for 99 cents, like, Skittles, Laffy Taffy, all my candy, you know. And, and, just, and one time, I, well, before my heart being regenerated, I, w- I would go throw, you know, throw stuff away, and if you happen to miss the garbage can as a teenager, what do you do as a teenager? You just kind of close the doors and walk away like, Mom will take care of that. You know? I'm not mess. I don't got time for that, right? I'm way too busy to bend over. No, it's lazy and it's selfish, Right? So one time, I, I go in there and I throw something in the in the trash, and and it doesn't make the trash can. It falls off, and I do the typical like, oh, "Ah, yeah, mom, mom will get that later. Dad will get that, you know." And as I'm walking away, I feel this deep sense of corrective conviction. Inside of me was this voice that said, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Nothing. <laughs> go pick that trash up." You, you missed the garbage can. Don't make your mom do that. You go pick that up. And I remember being like, oh, wow. I was really convicted about the trash, you know? But it's the little things. Because your heart changes. Because your heart is different. When you are born again, there's a new heart within you. And this is a great time to take inventory. Listen, you're not, you're not saved because you come to church. You're not saved because you do good things or check the list. Salvation and regeneration of the heart is a miracle that God does in people. Okay, and so I would challenge you to really begin, if you have not experienced that change of heart, to be very honest and begin to seek God for that. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what's, what's kind of our responsibility in this thing? Let's, let's kind of get now to like, what do we do? How do we respond to this? Well, Proverbs 4.23 gives us a great, uh, a great call and a great uh, example of what we are to do. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, because from it flow. Th- there's, there's a gate to your heart, there's a doorway to your heart. That's why Jesus would say things like, hey, I'm standing at the door and knocking on the door of your heart. There's a doorway, and you open up that door. Keep your heart, guard your heart with vigilance, because what goes in is what comes out. And, and the pressures of life and the trials and the fire of life has a way of exposing what's in our hearts. And so we're called to keep our hearts with vigilance. So here let me ask you the question today, then what are you allowing to come through the gate, to come through the door? Kingdom people are laser focused on the inner world of the heart, prioritizing purity over piety. What are you allowing? What's in your heart? Maybe there's bitterness or anger or resentment. When you think about that person and what they did, there's just, there's just a sense of, I, I just am angry and hateful. What about guilt and shame, failure? You feel so unworthy and, and not valuable and like nobody cares. Prejudice, unrighteous judgment. Greed, envy, lust, lust. Fear, insecurity, pride, control. I mean, all of these things. We, we are, as kingdom people, we're laser focused on the inner world of the heart because the inner world of the heart is what produces the fruit or from it flow the springs of life. Maybe there's impure thoughts about a certain person, sexual thoughts. Maybe maybe you feel the need to prove something like I just I gotta show people how successful and valuable I am or I judge and I compare because and I criticize others out of my own insecurity. I can't I can't admit that I'm wrong. I have to blame and I and, I'm, and I lie and manipulate. All of those things, if we're really really honest, are conditions of an impure heart and but they make us act a certain way and that's why Jesus is saying blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, how do we, the connection here is fascinating. Sometimes Jesus says things that you're like, okay, I wouldn't have maybe put those together. Blessed are the pure in heart because they're really great people to be around, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God like, okay, what, what are we talking about here? The connection between the seen and the unseen is fascinating. What Jesus is saying is when you do the work of Or when your heart is made pure, the unseen, that which is not seen actually gives you the ability to see. That's why later Jesus would say things like, take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The internal or the unseen is what produces the external. Let's illustrate that a little bit further. Kingdom people are are laser focused on the heart, And so prioritizing purity over piety, it works like this, the purity of heart produces clarity of vision. That's the connection between what he's talking about here. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The purity of heart produces the clarity of vision. That leads us to number two, I deal with my motives truthfully so I can see clearly. I deal with my motives truthfully so I can see clearly. I confront my own mixed and divided nature, and I ask God to purify me. When I do that, I see clearly. Now, when Jesus says you will see, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. He's not saying that, like, all of a sudden you're going to be able to, like, look in the sky and, oh, there he is. Never saw him before. Like, there's God. We can't behold or look at God in our sinful state. The Bible says that we can't see him otherwise. We'd be consumed in it by his holiness. But one day, what Jesus is saying, one day, yes, the end result of your faith is that you will look upon and behold the face of God. That's incredible. One day we will actually literally physically see him as he is. But he's also talking about something far, far deeper. He's talking about the inward sight of the soul, the ability to see spiritually, discernment, insight. You can see God in all of life's difficulties and trials, in the blessings, in the prospering. You can see his providential dealing in creation. I was talking to one of them um, one of our sisters in the faith this week at prayer and she was telling me a story she was so excited because her son and her daughter or, uh, her daughter and son-in-law were trying to buy a house and you know how difficult it is to buy a house and then to get the one you want at the price you want and and it's just been so hard in this market and she was saying I just I was praying for them I could just see God at work right I could see how he did this and he aligned this up and he did this and then that happened I could just I could I could look I could see God The pure in heart can see God. It's a far deeper spiritual sight. You can see his wisdom, his power, his love, his glory, his holiness. Yes, one day we will see him as he is. It's internal purity, not external piety, that gives us the ability to see. Here's here's how this works. Our heart slants us. If our hearts are impure or corrupted, you know this, it, it makes us see things a certain way. Impure motives distort our vision, literally make us spiritually blind. Now, coming up this weekend, uh, you, you and I both know there's a, a, a big game coming this weekend, right? And um, <clears throat> it's going to be exciting, it's going to be fun. At some point in this game, all the wolves, let me just see, let me see the wolverines other here let's see fist up how about Spartans how about other okay there's a few others (laughs) how about I don't even care about your stupid football analogy right (laughs) thank you guys for being honest that's very impure that's very pure and transparent of you you know undivided and unmixed right at some point in the game and there's there's other pictures of this this is just a fun one okay at some point in the game Michigan State's going to be on offense Michigan's going to be on defense Michigan State quarterback's going to drop back. He's going to throw the ball down the field. The Michigan defender, the Michigan State receiver are going to be tangled up, maybe both playing for the ball, and the referee is going to look at, and he's going to throw the flag, blow the whistle, and he's going to say pass interference, right? Probably going to happen. Now, if you're a Michigan State fan, you're like, well, obviously, you know, that was He was all over him. That was so obvious that was passing interference. And if you're a Michigan fan, you're over here like, that guy's out of his mind. That's a terrible call, right? You know how that goes in sports. It's like, are we watching a different game? Nope, you're watching the same game on the same screen with the same instant replays at the same real time, but yet coming to very different conclusions on what you saw. Why? Because your heart determines what you see. Because you see what you want to see, right? That's a fun illustration, but that actually has very serious implications when it comes to real life. For some they can look into creation and look and go out and watch a lake Michigan sunset and man, how many times do we get 72 in late October? This is God. this is awesome, right? I can see God in the weather today and I think about watching my children be born, I'm like, oh my goodness, I just see the glory and the majesty of God everywhere. It couldn't be more obvious. It couldn't be more apparent. And then there's people that are like, there's no shred of evidence for, for, for the existence of a God. I'm like, what? Is it the problem that there's a lack of evidence for God or is the problem that there's, there's a, an impure and corrupted heart that is blind and can't see? That's what Jesus is saying. You cannot look around and, and, and truthfully, honestly go, there's no God. Now, when it comes down to some real-life issues, though, oftentimes we have, we have people, and, and I'm going to say probably 90% of the cases that come to the church where people are needing help and they're needing counsel for certain issues, 90% of the time it's, it's marriage. People are, are in a place where they're, they're, just, they're, at, they're at odds and they can't seem to resolve it, and so wisely they go, we need some outside perspective. And it's amazing how when you begin to engage the conversation, typically what happens is people are like, I'm so innocent and I'm so right and they're so guilty and they're so wrong, right? And then you go talk to them and they're like, no, I'm so innocent and they're so guilty. Well, no wonder you're fighting. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? When we're not honest about the impurities and the corrupted motives of our heart, it blinds us, we can't see clearly. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about, and you may be familiar with this text over in Matthew 23, but this illustrates this point perfectly. Jesus is talking about the ability to see spiritually, and he confronts the scribes and Pharisees. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're hypocrites. You put on a mask. You're putting on a show. For you tithe on mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's like, you're just all about the show, like what people can see, and you're so careful to make sure that you're checking all the lists and doing it all right, but yet internally, you don't even care about the the major values of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Like, you're, you're completely missing it. Look what he says here in verse 24. Not coincidentally, he uses the word, you blind guides. What he's saying is you have you're spiritually blind. You do not see this. You strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. You're like so, so focused on external purity that you're you're gonna get that last little bug, but you don't realize you're actually missing the big picture and you're swallowing the camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, you're putting on a show, it's a sham. You're a charlatan, I see right through you. You, cl- you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Here he is again, verse 26. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup. Care more about the internal world of the heart, the purity of the heart, the unseen. Clean the inside, then the outside will also be clean. The outside, the seen follows the unseen. Clean the inside, that the outside may also be clean. Woe. To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but with, within are full of dead people's bones and all, there it is again, uncleanness, impurity. Jesus is right at it. I mean, you can tie that directly together with Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The purity of your heart determines the clarity of your vision. The impurity and the corruption of your heart makes you spiritually blind. That's why kingdom people are laser focused on the world of the heart. That's why we sit when commune with Jesus and say, deal with my heart. Deal with the corruption of my heart instead of me yelling to be heard and blaming and and, and condemning how wrong that person is and how wrong that, and God, would you deal with me and my own sin nature? That's the follower of Christ. And it leads us to this question after we read this Matthew 23 passage. Is Jesus speaking to the Pharisee Or is he speaking to the Pharisee in me? He's not just confronting the Pharisee 2,000 years ago. He's confronting the Pharisaical nature in all of humanity. It's not them, it's me, right? I deal with my motives truthfully so I can see clearly. I realize when I'm being biased or when I'm being unrealistic and and that my, my heart is determining what I see and that I'm slanted at times I need outside perspective because I'm too close and my heart is too in it and too corrupted to see clearly. We can't see the picture clearly because of the deceitfulness of our own heart. We exaggerate. We we slant. We're biased. We manipulate the facts and the story. It's strangely enough when people come to plead their case, their story always leaves out very key factors and is always told in a way that shows them to be innocent, right? It's amazing how that works, but then you hear the other person go, well, no, that's not how that went. That's not what you, that's not what happened at all, right? It's like you're watching the football game and you're you're trying to just call it fairly. Like, I I don't have any vested interest. We're not on a side here, but if there's a foul, I'm gonna blow the whistle and call the foul, or I'm gonna throw the flag, right? A good mediator sits in between and goes, let's get to the place of truth and the truth is 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 both of you have corrupted hearts both of you exaggerate slant manipulate blame those are those are things those are factors of an impure heart and if we can get people to see like okay what does it, what is it like to see from your spouse's perspective maybe try just just sit in their seat and be like what is it like to see the situation from through their eyes because when you can do that that's what it means to be pure in heart that's what it means to be humble Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm, I kind of struggle with the whole God thing. Or maybe you're watching uh, on Facebook today, happen to be scrolling through and just, you're like, this is interesting. Maybe I'll watch, right? And you might be, might be saying to yourself, like, well, I just don't understand why God doesn't just, like, why doesn't he just show up in the sky? Like, I don't know if he's real. If he was real, he would just reveal himself and I could see him. And then, and then when I see him, then I'll believe. It's the whole, like, I'll believe it when I see it thing. And the kingdom is, is the converse of that. It's like, you won't. You won't believe it, even if you saw it. You'll see it when you believe it. It's backwards. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't have to show, God's done plenty to reveal his nature. For those who have eyes to see, it's plainly obvious. That's why Jesus would say, for those who have eyes to see, those who have ears to hear, right? He's talking about spiritual sight and spiritual hearing. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you won't see it because you don't believe it. You will see it when you believe it. Kingdom people are laser focused on the heart. I deal with my motives truthfully in communion with Jesus. I don't judge myself. I'm like, I just, we just got to get before Jesus, and I'm going to sit with him and go, would you be my savior? Would you judge my heart? Because I don't even see my own heart rightly. That's the humility of, of a kingdom thinker, of being laser focused. So then what do I do with this? How, how, do, I, how do I respond? Well, you might be in two different boats here, and I, I talked about the one, maybe you're, you're far from God. You're here this morning, maybe somebody brought you, maybe again you're watching on, online, and, and somebody brought you, and you're like, Okay, I, yeah, I, I can't deny what Jesus said here, and I certainly know that people have corrupted hearts and motives, and, and I'm willing to admit that I do, right? But I'm so, I feel so filthy. I feel so dirty and so unclean and impure. I feel like I just kind of got to get my life in order. I got to kind of get myself, before I can really come and give my life to Christ, I kind of got to get my life in order, and it's like, you know, that's never, it never works that way. You don't get cleaned up to come to Jesus, you come to Jesus to get cleaned up. That'd be as silly as being like, I'm so dirty, I need to get cleaned up before I can take a shower, right? No, that's what the shower's for. That's why you take a shower. For those who are our believers, there's a few dangerous prayers that we can pray, and these these are like monumental prayers, that that on a daily basis, as the followers of Christ, as the disciples of Jesus, kingdom people who are laser focused on the heart, we we see David in the Psalms, a man after God's own heart, pray these things that it's like, oh man, that's a dangerous prayer. If I sit at Jesus' feet and I pray that, look out because he's gonna change my life. Over in Psalm 5110, David says these words, coming off of terrible sin and failure, adultery, murder, and and being confronted and is completely guilty before God, he says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's a dangerous prayer. Create in me a clean heart. Later in Psalm 139, he says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See David knew it it's, it was true it's been true all throughout history kingdom people are laser focused on the heart. They prioritize purity over piety. I deal with my motives truthfully so I can see clearly. Now in these next few moments we're going to we're going to sing a song together and I want to challenge you to make this your own prayer. Maybe we can even have those verses up if you could put those back up for a moment those psalms verses. And as we begin to approach this time of worship, begin to pray these things honestly, sincerely, transparently, you and Jesus, it's you and Jesus. He's your Lord, he's your Savior, create in me a clean heart, search me, know my heart. Lord, would we be a people that have a pure heart, blessed, flourishing are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. Lord, these words are sharp, they're convicting, but they're so full of hope and so full of life, and you desire for our good, you you desire for our flourishing. And, and as we come to you, Lord Jesus, we have to be honest about the internal, the real true motives, and when we let you do the work there, you purify us. So I pray in these moments, Holy Spirit, that if this is a moment of repentance and conviction that that would happen would you for those who are seeking you and praying these prayers would you show and reveal the impurities lord maybe someone going through difficulty and suffering today and that they could see what you're doing and what work you're doing internally in their heart in the middle of it what are you making visible for them what are you changing Give us clean hands, Lord. Give us pure hearts. Search our hearts. Create in us a clean heart, we would pray, and we worship you, Lord, in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.